Welcome everyone to the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision by guiding them to profitability. Let's go! You are listening to episode 196, and today we have Jeff Walsh. Jeff is a self-proclaimed world traveler and temporarily retired digital nomad. He's the co-founder and CEO of Nomo FOMO, which is probably one of the coolest startup names in the world right now. Next to Penji, of course. But second, (laughs) uh, where they use social networks and and travel to empower networking and meetup opportunities. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Jonathan. How you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm ready to rock and roll. And as a... Uh, world traveler or self-proclaimed world traveler adept, I have to ask this question. Imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. Where are you going to eat? What country are you going to eat it in? And um, so where are you going to eat? What are you going to order? And what country are you going to eat it in? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I'm going to throw a little curveball to you. I'm actually going to come back to Philadelphia area, uh, born and raised in South Jersey. And usually when I'm traveling, I get to indulge. And so as a digital nomad, you're always traveling. So I'm going to jump in and get a Panzerati, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like old school, man. For for people who are in South Jersey, I have absolutely no idea. Do you want to just explain what a Panzerati is? Yeah. So most people always try to compare it to like a calzone or something, but it really is an inside out deep fried pizza. And it really has to deal with the sauce they use, that dough that goes on the outside and kind of the intermingling of the flavors. It just brings you back to being a young kid in those happy summer days. I haven't had a Panzerati in years. So maybe, (laughs) uh, maybe I'll have to go out and venture off and get a Panzerati, man. That is a great, great answer. I really appreciate it. Um, all right, cool. So what we're going to do now is just going to talk a little bit more about business. So the first question of the podcast is tell me about a time that you felt lost or blind in business and how did you overcome those obstacles? Sure. And honestly, one of the biggest things about being in business and I realized it's moving from corporate America to startup world is you feel lost and blind multiple times a week. Yeah. And I think the biggest time that it really hit me that this was going to happen often was when we were looking to bring people onto the team. And Mm -hmm. we first had to go through, talk with our legal counsel, figure out what the laws were with contractor versus employee versus intern. So you had all those things to navigate. And then on top of all that, you're looking at hiring people for a company that you have to sell them on, bring them in for equity or very minimal pay, and then make sure that you're following all the legal best practices. So Mm -hmm. You're jumping through hoops. You're trying to keep yourself all positive, motivated, and constantly hearing no from everybody you talk to because they're looking for either more money, more equity, or it's just not the right fit. So I really felt pretty lost and blind at that time. And um, ultimately, I think it was just talking with some of my network and my mentors to understand really about goal setting and understanding what I need at this point and not looking for that perfect fit but rather somebody who is a culture fit and has the base skills and can grow with me. So tell me a little bit more, if, if that's okay, if this isn't too much information, because yeah. I think a lot of people have that issue where they're, they're teetering between, well, um, I don't have the necessary, what was it because you didn't have, the, at the time, you didn't have the necessary funds associated to hire this person, say part-time, full-time, whatever it is? 
Yeah, and actually, so we're still bootstrapped. Uh, we've sure. been going for about two years now, still bootstrapped. And when we first looked to bring on a developer, we didn't know whether we were supposed to build it in Ruby on Rails, or we were supposed to build it in C++. There's so many options out there, and everybody's coming at you with a different pitch. Yeah, yeah. So what we ended up doing was really trying to understand better as to who the people were. And it took us a couple iterations till we really found true culture fit between mm. myself, my co-founder, who's been with me since the start, Adelaida, and other people on the team. And we're still, I mean, every time we look to bring on a new contractor or a new intern, we have to sit down and think to ourselves, what's it going to be in three or four months working with this person? And then would we want this person to be here in five years? And, and I'm, I'm kind of curious, like when you're hiring these people or even in, introducing them, have you ever felt scared or afraid of that idea of giving this person equity in anticipation and them not being like the best fit? Like what it, is that thought process like for you? I mean, you don't have to admit if you're afraid, but I'm just saying in general, like <laughs> what is that thought what is that thought process like for you? Hey, come on, we're all men here. We could talk about being afraid <laughs> between each other. <laughs> no, it honestly it is something that's scary. Uh, yeah. you think about control of the company, about somebody who's gonna have a voice in the company, they're gonna be with you through the exit or if you IPO, you know, they're gonna be here the whole time. So you wanna really make sure that they are a true fit. And you know, it's something I wish as I was going into the startup world, I heard earlier just because I don't think I thought about it as much and the stress that was on me would have been relieved a lot more if I just thought, think about somebody you wanna be hanging out with five years from now. Yeah. Would this person be somebody? Because even if they don't work at the company, they're still going to be involved in your life. And that's the scariest part about everything in the startup world uh, when it comes to equity is these people are with you for the long haul. When you originally talked to these people about equity and, and things like that being part of the business, how important was the legal structure of your business um, when the, these conversations happened? And how important was it to have a lawyer throughout this process? So I was blessed that uh, we actually did have a lawyer involved with us early on. And I use the word blessed many times because I don't believe it was planning on my side or anything other than somebody who was luckily a good friend of mine in the beginning uh, got involved with me and we started talking about the legal implications of everything. So I would recommend anybody who's starting to look at equity, make sure you have your company set up, make sure you have somebody from legal involved. You don't have to have a counsel that is running the business and you're paying them multiple thousand dollars, but there's a lot of great companies out there. And if anybody who's listening in um, is based in the Northeast area, or even if somebody just wants to talk about, feel free to reach out. I got a couple people who I'd love to recommend to you, but I just, I believe that you should have somebody who you can bounce ideas off of and get the initial documentation, especially processed and have a, have a form, you know, whether it's a contract that you have signed between them or an equity, share a document that you're going to actually get signed that you can share with them because you don't want to worry about two, three years down the road, somebody coming back and trying to argue about the equity that you thought you agreed upon and not have a contract to back it up. Yeah, absolutely. And also you being a part of the corporate world at some point in time, because you've been doing this, this crazy world of entrepreneurship and, um, and startups for the past two years. But tell me a little bit more about some of the, the corporate, like why did you want to do this? Why are you so crazy and, and I'm sure stupid to, to take this <laughs> risk 
and and go off on your own and do your own thing what what was that process like so you know that was probably one of the biggest jumps i've made and i am just excited and ecstatic that i've done it uh when i was in corporate america you know you had a nice job something that was coming in constantly but I saw just there was more to life that I wanted and I wanted to be able to impact so many more people and there was only so much I could do without changing jobs and going to a smaller company. And I've always looked for an idea, something that I'd be passionate about that I wanted to throw myself 100% into. Yeah. And it was during a time, I was on a program called Remote Year and at the end of Remote Year, I met my co-founder and we had very similar ideas on what we wanted to do involving connecting ourselves with our friends and how we wanted to keep in touch with them and start to see them globally when we're traveling. And as her and I were talking and just even other conversations I've had before that, I realized corporate travel, business travel, personal travel, all these times that I'm on the road, I really go on the road to hang out with my friends, see new places and share memories with them. But most of the time I end up traveling a lot alone or I'd end up meeting up with somebody for two days and then be on there for five days by myself. And what I really wanted to do was look at how we can make that better. And as my co-founder and I started talking about it and we came up with this great idea, it's just a light bulb that clicked. Mm -hmm. It was, this is my passion. My passion's always been about helping build relationships with my network, with other people I meet and trying to grow them. And what better way than to bring in my second passion of travel Mm -hmm. and mingle them together. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about Nomo FOMO, which again, I think is a fantastic name. It catches, uh, but let's talk a little bit more about, about this whole idea that you have behind, uh, you have on your shirt, your ultimate social travel platform. So let's talk a little bit about it. Like, how does it work? How, how, can, uh, how can it help people? Yeah, so as I mentioned, we're really about bringing people together in mm-hmm. person for more networking and meetup opportunities. And we're looking to leverage your social networks. So what we've done is build out a platform that allows you to integrate it with your calendar, be able to forward us your itineraries. And then by connecting on NomoFomo, you're able to know when your friends with pass are gonna cross with yours, as well as start planning group trips, meetups, and get inspiration for where your friends are going to be. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a lot kind of just in one quick little sentence, but. The ultimate goal is by sharing your itineraries and having your friends share their itineraries of where they're going, mm-hmm. it gives us that opportunity to know ahead of time, mm-hmm. to really be able to see who's going to be in that next city, to get a notification when you book a trip to Chicago so that you can plan ahead and not just find out when you're in the city or in the moment that you guys could have gotten together. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, would this be for the common traveler? Would this be for the completely 100% digital nomad? Like, who is the target audience that you're going after? So the digital nomads are probably our sweet spot right now. If you look at it, there are people who are on the road and being connected is one of the biggest things. Um, Think about every digital nomad that is going from city to city and then all the people they meet, as well as all their friends they're trying to meet up with, family members who are just trying to keep in contact with them. Mm. There's so many touch points that it's it's a job in itself to truly keep up with all the people you wanna meet up with later. Yeah. Um, the constant traveler and the business traveler, people who are on the road take three to five trips at minimum a year, I would say that we consider them very similar to digital nomads because they don't truly live in one location per se. 
Hmm. Um, if you think about what travel is and what you're, where you live, most people think about it as the place where you store your stuff. But when I'm traveling for work and I'm in Houston six, seven times a year, I'm storing my stuff in Houston for that week. And if I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna constantly be on the road, I would wanna make sure that I can optimize every trip so that I can get the most meetings out of it. I can see the most family members and really have a mix of, I don't like the word leisure as much as some people do, but that you know business leisure interaction so that you get to optimize the trip for your personal life, your work life, and anything else you want to when it comes to connecting with the people in your network. Yeah, and um, the digital nomad, I think, is a word that is used more for marketing because a lot of people like to call themselves digital nomads for the most part, but do you see a growing trend in people who are starting to become digital nomads? Um, you know, who are they? What, what do they look like type of, type of things? And is that, is that, is it growing locally uh, from the United States level? Uh, is it growing nationally uh, and, and internationally? So the number itself is hard to pinpoint right now. Uh, some people, it really depends on who you talk to. We'll say, you know, well, expats, there's over 55 million expats abroad. And yeah. that number, again, is an estimate because, again, the U.S. government can't figure out a way to track them. Right. Um, digital nomads themselves, do we count remote workers? Do we count only people who are not living in a place for more than three months? What about somebody who moves to Chicago for six months and then decides to leave for another job? Should they be a, a digital nomad, a remote worker? Right. So the metrics are really hard to pinpoint. And some people say that a, the digital nomads are gonna be about 1 billion by 2020, I think is the metric that I've heard mm. last. And I look at digital nomads as somebody who lives and works in two different locations. Yeah, yep. So if you work remotely, then you're te technically a digital nomad. Yep. It's not the term that most people would use for digital nomads, but you have the ability to travel. Yeah. Um, a lot of times what's holding them in place is going to be family, uh, whether it's kids, their personal, like their mom, their dad, and their immediate family, or an obligation such as a house. And in those situations, we have to think of them a little bit differently, but that's where I think the growth is going to be, mm -hmm. is that the people who work remotely are gonna have the ability to start traveling more, and as millennials start to become the uh, higher percentage of the working class, and right now a lot of the millennials are renting versus buying, they're gonna mm -hmm. have that ability to start moving around, so mm -hmm. I think a mix of those two factors is really where we're going to see the growth. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would have to. You've done more, way more research than than I have. But just from the things that I've researched and the things that I've read, uh, the freelance economy, which is what I kind of call it, the freelance economy, the digital nomad lifestyle, is going to just grow even more so than ever before. So, you know, kudos to you to kind of being yeah. on the. I I would say relatively, on in the on the forefront of, of this. Now, something that I have to ask and something that's really important is, is the aspect of, um, of obtaining customers. So you can obtain a customer, I guess, in multiple ways um, because you can obtain the customer that is traveling and then you can also obtain the relationships with, I'm, sh I'm going to assume, um, the travel, uh, the hotels, the airlines, the things of that nature. Can you 
tell me a little bit more about how you're obtaining your first 100, 1,000 customers, whatever it may be? Yeah, and honestly, that's probably the hardest part is figuring out where to focus when you start a business. And travel and social media, it's that much harder because technically everyone will be your customer, but you have to figure out where your niche is and start there. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we started looking at communities that we were a part of. And Remote Year was a community that we, both my co-founder and myself, uh, were a part of and we still are a part of. So we started building the network around digital nomads that were in Remote Year. And once we ran through a beta program with them, which we officially ended, I would say, about two weeks ago, um, we are now moving on to other communities and looking at opening up the app to let communities as well as other series travelers on mm. to get a feel for how they would network both in their community as well as with each other. Okay. Did so you want to keep going. Yeah, I was going to say. So you know, it's our first hundred customers was fairly easy because we had such a large group that we are already working with. Uh, the first thousand, we're growing to really continue to amplify that number with new communities with people that we know that are avid travelers and want to share their travels with people or playing group chips with larger groups. Yeah. And then from there, we're just going to continue to focus on showing the value of those social connections and incentivizing our users to share back out that platform and the trips that they're taking on other social media. How difficult is it to get into a pre-existing network of people? Um, you mentioned like remote year, which it sounds as if that because you take it, you probably knew a lot of the people that were in the organization. I don't know how big they are, but I do see their stuff. I'm sure they're, they're, they're a pretty big company, but these other, like maybe these newer prospects that you may call, um, that you kind of have to go in there and pitch the, the, the lead of this community. Do you find a particular strategy that works to get in front of these networks? Um, or yeah, just tell, talk a little bit more about your approach. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, every community is different. Sure. Absolutely. It really is, yeah. And that's the big problem with travel is some people are using the community aspect to just share information, to host meetups. Others are using it to sell their trips or one of their, um, tours. And what we really look at is the communities that see the value in connecting in person and going on trips together. Mm. So remote year was a great example because you travel the world with a group for a year. And so you build these amazing bonds and you want to continue to connect with those people, but you also want to connect with other people who had the exact same experience. So the value that we offer and the things that we start to look at for each community are going to be different. But what I've noticed is, most of the communities are fairly open to looking at ideas like this because they see the value in the in-person community, not just the digital community. And I think, I think that's the thing we've gotten away from with a lot of social media is we've replaced the true in-person handshakes with like a friend request or a like, mm -hmm. and they want to get back to that because that just strengthens their value add. So it's been a pretty easy sell in the initial conversation. It's just all about implementing it once they get on the platform. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And so like if you could have like an ideal scenario where people are using your platform, uh, people are using your business, what would, what would that look like to you? Um, you know, maybe like five years down the line, 
as you know, the numbers are growing. <laughs> like what, what is that? What does that look like? Well, I can't tell you every little piece because uh, I don't want to give away our secret sauce, but sure, no, that's fine. <laughs> now, honestly, I've looked at this a million different ways. And in the end, the biggest thing is about being able to leverage our network and figure out a way to make travel planning really seamless so that when you go to plan a trip, you can leverage past itineraries from friends, be able to figure out who's going to be in that city and spend more time in person than going through your phone looking for a four square recommendation because it's mm. raining out instead of sunny. Everything should be seamless and it should be, I mean, the technology's there, the yeah. data is there. It's all about connecting it and really giving you the recommendations and the um, preferences that matter most to you. And that is incredibly valuable because uh, I'll just give a full disclaimer and you can, maybe you can uh, share a story within my story. Um, my girlfriend lives in Kansas City when and I'm and we're also traveling to Omaha, Nebraska, which I, I never thought I would go to Omaha, Nebraska in a million <laughs> years. Um, but anyways, it's about three hour distance away, and I know nothing about Omaha, and I re knew very little about Kansas City when uh, I originally went there. So um, you're saying that when it comes to recommendations, you can see other people's itineraries that uh, they would essentially travel through the app. And then you can see all the things that they've been able to do and go to and, and where they're located, et cetera, et cetera. So, and that's, you know, five years down the road, what we see it as is that sort of an aspect. And a perfect example is I was just talking to one of my friends and they planned a whole California trip and mm -hmm. it was a road trip from north of San Francisco down to San Diego. Yep. Well, why would I want to go through the exact work she's just done when I saw all of her pictures on Instagram and loved them. Mm. Why would I want to go through figuring out which of our mutual friends live in LA and reaching out to them when I could simply just put that I'm going to LA up and be notified. Yeah. yeah. And it's all going to be available to our travelers. But if you think about anytime you've taken a group trip, mm -hmm. you sit down, you have a great, couple great ideas and you're, you're going through everything. You're trying to coordinate, you're trying to collaborate, you're trying to put it together into an itinerary and you're using 50 different tools. You're trying to talk to different people. You're trying to plan out the social aspects of, okay, well, you're going to meet at my house. If we can take all of that, if we can help you as a traveler and make it seamless on our side so that you're not trying to plan last minute or trying to print out something when who has a printer anymore these days. So, you know, trying to get that done real quick or even send out an email for everybody mm -hmm. that in my mind would be a success, but Ultimately, when we look at that as a success, that's great. If we can then take it even further and add a new connection, yeah. bring you together with people, your cousin or a friend in that city and let you know ahead of time so that you can get in person, that would just make me ecstatic. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think it's just uh, leveraging, making the world just a little bit smaller. Um, yeah. You know, one, one app at a time, so to speak. Um, when it comes, I like that. I might steal that, by the way. Go for it, man. You can, <laughs> it's all yours. Um, just give me royalties of like, uh, like 25 cents every time that somebody, uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, you are, have to be a world traveler as well. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about you personally, just because, um, you've said a lot of amazing things, 
the reason why I wanted to have you on the show was because of your digital nomad lifestyle and your uh, expertise and importance of travel. I've always said that anytime you have the ability to travel, you shed a layer of skin that you never had before. You get on that plane, you get off that plane, you're a new person. Whether I know that it's just like a two-hour drive or a two-hour flight, whatever it may be, but there are things that happen inside that plane. For me as a business professional, that you just think about and you comprehend it and you analyze and you just release that energy. For me, I leave it all on the plane. So yeah. for you as a, as a traveler, if you could just name some places that you've been to, and I'm sure you get the, the age old question, like where would you want to go? But I'd love to hear at least a couple of cities or countries that are really on your horizon of things, uh, of places to go to. Yeah. So Places I would recommend, I'm always hesitant because I don't want people to overflood them, but I'm going to throw out one that I've recently been telling people about because it's summer and summer in Europe is always gorgeous, but Ljubljana. And I would say Ljubljana and Slovenia in general, hmm. it's a gorgeous city. It reminds me a lot of uh, the Italian cities, but it's just extremely clean. For people who are worried about language barriers, they speak fluent English most of the time. And... The city is really, I don't know how to say it more than welcoming because the food's great, the people are nice. And once you get outside the city, you have so much nature to get into. They have two of the most beautiful lakes I've ever been to with Lake Bohin and Lake Bled. And then mountain biking, hiking, fishing, whatever you want to get into, they have the options. Yeah. So I recommend everybody who ever gets a chance, take a couple of days and just, you know, while you're in Europe, try to make it over there. Um, another place I not only am a fan of, but I ended up marrying a girl from Brazil. So I got to give a little plug for Brazil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's like my second home ever since I've been down there again, the people are just so warm and welcoming. And I really do believe in becoming a local. So it's hard when you go to a lot of the touristy place. And luckily I had friends in Brazil who I was able to hang out with, stay with, and I started to learn the language before I went down. So it was much easier to adapt. But, you know, if you ever get a chance to make it down, most of South America, the people are just so warm and welcoming that it's hard not to have a good time. Yeah. 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 And I think what's really interesting, uh, did you have another place that you wanted uh, to add? Like um, not city? to add, but places I want to go, I can... Yeah, I was going to say, I can throw out other places I'm looking to go, but I'll let you jump in first. <laughs> well, it was just, um, I think what's really cool when you travel to other cities, being able to see, as you said, living with local, like living like a local, yeah. um, and being able to see what they emphasize, like what is important to them. And I don't know about much about Brazil, but I can assume that they're very into community and family. Um, I've been to Vietnam and what we care about is that like, go, go, go work mentality. They're very much so like very calm, very, like, yes, they work their butts off, but yeah. they'd much rather just be able to sit in the morning for like three hours and drink coffee than to go right to work. Whereas we're like, go grab coffee, get to get to in the car and drive, which I've always found fascinating when able to travel, you know? Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I have to remember who quoted this or I'm going to get in trouble because I keep using it as an example for uh. friends. But there was a famous uh, saying or quote, but this guy was telling a story about when he was down in Mexico trying to relax and he ran into this fisherman. And basically the sum of the story was he kept trying to walk him through the American way about how he has the best fish and he keep growing his fleet and he could 
sooner or later become this company that he could sell and make millions of dollars off of. And at the end of the day, he starts talking to him about what he could do with his money. And the joke is that the guy from Mexico kept asking, and then what? And then what? Mm. After every step. And then and at the end he goes, going. yeah, and at the end he goes, and then you could retire, have a place in Mexico, go fishing during the day, drink beer and be with your family. Yeah. And as soon as he said it, he realized that's exactly what this guy was doing. He was enjoying his life. He was, you know, fishing four to six hours a day, maybe. He goes out, does his job, comes home, and just relaxes with his family. And that's the lifestyle he wanted. Mm-hmm. And it's funny to see how we, being so go, 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 when we get to another culture, it's almost like a slap to the face. We're like, mm-hmm. why aren't you guys working harder? Why aren't you running? Why aren't you going? And it's really just a different way of life and a different, uh, I guess, end goal on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, no, that's a great story. I appreciate that. Um, any places that you would like to go quickly before I ask you the last question uh, yeah, that you haven't um, been to? Honestly, I've been trying to get as much scuba diving in as possible. Nice. And the Galapagos has been on my list. My friends keep on inviting me or I've been there. So it's probably number one right now. Nice, nice. Not bad. Well, the final question I have for you, Jeff, if that's okay. Uh, yeah. The blind entrepreneur is defined as a person who may be temporarily lost or blind in business. They cannot see the obvious, and they're stuck in a particular internal headspace. So to those individuals that may be stuck, what are three pieces of advice that you would give to a fellow entrepreneur? I'd have to say the first one is take a step back and figure out what success looks like at this stage, Mm. and don't worry about what it looks like at the end. Um, Really understand those metrics, because like we were just talking about, what my company will look like five years out. That's great. But if I start building for that today, I'm going to fail because I'm never going to hit that first step. So start, figure out what the steps are that you need to hit, what the metrics are that would show true success and measure it day one. Because mm-hmm. if you don't measure it, you'll never know if you made it. Uh, the second one would be, be extremely careful about confirmation bias. It's mm-hmm. something that we all fight with and you see a, a newsletter or you see a, article that talks about how great this is going to be and you twist it in your head and you think, oh my God, we're going to be billionaires soon. Mm. But take a step back, send it to people. And that's actually been some advice from one of my good friends. Send it to people who aren't in the business. Send it to people who understand what you're trying to do or understand a little bit about your business and just say, hey, what do you think about this? Do you think this is something we should really be focusing on? And the third one, I'd have to say the third one be always be building your network and don't be afraid to reach out to them. Hmm. Um, I personally had a lot of trouble when I first started and I still do every once in a while reaching out to certain people because I feel, ah, they're busy. They don't need to be helping me out right now or I can do it on my own. Mm. But every time I do and every time I talk to somebody, they're usually so excited to work with me. And I think I realized it more when somebody came to me and asked for help a few months back on something. And I just thought to myself, wow, that felt great being able to give back. And I should just start asking people when I first think about it versus, you know, sitting around for a couple of days or even weeks before reaching out because that quick message could be a yes, it could be a no. And if it's a no, it's off your mind. If it's a yes, you got somebody great to work with. And the fourth one would have to be travel, right? <laughs> Always travel. Never stop traveling. There you go. I love it, man. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time uh, talking to us a little bit today about business, life, travel, et cetera. 
Uh, next 30 seconds is all yours. Tell everybody about how they can learn more about you, be a part of your journey, and potentially become a customer. Sure. Well, first off, thanks again, Jonathan, for having me. Anybody who's interested, uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at Jeff S. Walsh, or you can go to www.nomo-fomo.com to sign up and check out the platform. Uh, little plug, we went, by the time this airs, we will have launched our iOS and our Android app, so feel free to go on, check it out, and feel free to reach out to me and let me know what you think. Very cool, man. Well, congratulations to you. I've, I've seen you so many times. We never actually had like a real, real legit conversation. So consider this the phone, yeah. <laughs> the first conversation of many. Uh, and to those that are still watching and listening, thank you guys for always liking, commenting, and subscribing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and head over to tbeshow.com for more interviews just like this one. Go out there and execute your vision, everybody. Have a good rest of your day.